really happening? Is it is the kingdom of God advancing and is forceful people taking hold of the power of the future age breaking into our now time that the kingdom of heaven is near? Sometimes, sometimes we lose heart, right? Does anybody ever lose heart? Jesus says, take heart because you're going to lose heart. He's smart, right? He said, that's what Jesus said when he walked the earth. He says, take heart. In this world, you're going to have trouble. So don't be overwhelmed. Don't be shocked when things start to happen. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Isn't that good news? I think it is. So take heart. Sometimes we lose it. New legislation in Northern Ireland. I don't know where you stand on it, but it's the worst legislation in the whole of European law. It's not great. It's not good. Brexit fears. In and out of conversation. You've had the leaflets through your door. You're leaving on the 29th. I would say you're not right now. Brexit fears. 39 people found in the back of a sealed container. Hoping for a life. Hoping for a better future. For Sama. Did anybody watch it last night? Syria. Documentary of... Raising a child in a war-torn country. Absolutely horrifying. And yet one of the reasons that this book is written, that Mark, John Mark, probably along with Peter, writes this book in 60 AD, between 60 and 70, if you're quoting me. What he's doing at this time, when all looks lost, when all looks like it's, it's not happening as it should be, when it seems to be fading and the light seems to be going down, arise, shine, for the light has come. One of the reasons behind the good news, the Evangelio, that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. One of the good news reasons why he's writing this is to encourage the readers of that time in their land and for our time in our land to take hope. Awaken hope again in your hearts. Father, would you awaken hope in the churches across the length and breadth of this island. Fill us with fresh hope today. Fill us with fresh hope. Sometimes we just lose heart. And he's, he's wanting to encourage us. What happens actually in this culture, that what seems to be also happening, is that some things have been stolen. Names and identities have been stolen. And it's very important in that culture. And it's actually important in our culture. We're just not so um, upfront about it or maybe aware in, in all around us. But actually, when our names have been stolen, then it makes a difference in our identity. So what happened in this time, in this culture, is John Mark writes that hope should be stirred in your heart again. He's saying that, look around you, there's some things have been stolen. And we're going to get to the hope part, so relax. I don't want to fill you with, with gloom this morning. They actually stole the names of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and gave them to the Roman leaders at that time. So Lord, they stole the name Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. They stole that and they gave it to Nero. And the seizures before that. What else did they steal? Well, some of the other names, the builder of the way. Does that sound familiar? Who's the builder of the way? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the builder of the way. Beloved, loved, stolen name again and given to Nero and given to the political elite of that time. So culture changes us, especially when people start to lose their identity and names have been changed. 
and the names have been changed. What happens, it affects us. And if God is our resource, right, why are we worrying? And we do. We're anxious. Because it's so easy to struggle, isn't it? It's so easy to go to the place of worry. It's so easy to go to the place of anxiety. It's so easy to go to the place and look at the complexities and the, the stories of doom and gloom. And actually the reality that's in front of our eyes, it's so easy to get caught up in that. And we think that all we need to do is change the world and fix the world just like society does. But that's not the narrative. That's not the culture of the kingdom. The story of the kingdom is different. We live in an upside down world. Our job is to bring the power and presence of the rightful king to say Jesus Christ is Lord and Caesar is not and to bring things back as they should be. To bring back again the name of Jesus Christ that's been stolen. Not just in that time but in our time. He is still beloved. Jesus is still the builder of the way. Everybody wants a king like Jesus. He's still good. He's still the rightful king. And I love him. He's changed my life. For the better. It's still the way. So what we try to do in our culture, we think that God needs us to do some stuff and we need to fix the world. But he has some other plans for us. And so can I just say pastorally to you and, and all words of mercy and comfort. And I know that when we ache and when we hurt, we see things a little darker. But these are not the darkest days. There is a light that shines. There's a light that has risen upon you. And it's okay to feel grief. And it's okay to lament because those are the prayers that the Father has given us. Those are the emotions that the Lord has given us when things are not as they should be. That's why we are the most political people on the face of the earth. Because we speak for those who have no voice. We speak for those who have their needs taken from them, and those who have no resources to be political is to work for everyone. And the moment it doesn't work for everyone, that's when earthly politics are wrong. But we live under a new rule and a new reign. King Jesus, our allegiance is first and foremost to him, and his empire must rise, and other empires must fall. Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. And so this is not... The darkest days. These are the best days for the church of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to be alive and to be well and to be functioning as they were made to function. So relax and lean into our God-given potential, our God-given destiny and calling that when the prophet Isaiah wrote thousands, millennial years before, that arise, shine, your light has come and the glory of the Lord has come upon you. He knew that there would be dark days that were to come. I think prophetically they knew dark days were coming. And dark days will come again, and dark days have been. But the church of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is unstoppable. And we talked about it last week. The gates of hell itself cannot stand against it. And our job is not to sit back and wait for the politicians of this world to fix things. But our job is to take hold of what God has given us, the power that he has given us, the words that he has given us, the love that he has given us, the kindness that he has given us, the forgiveness that he has given us, and wield it right throughout the nation and throughout the land. These are good days to be alive. These are very good days to be alive. Of course there's pain. Of course there's tragedy. Of course there's things that we don't want to see on our TV screen. Of course there's conversations in Carter's that we don't want to be a part of and we don't want to hear and we don't think are good. But Jesus Christ has come. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is near. See, what happens is, I don't know if we're going to get to the top this morning, 
or not. Throughout the ancient scriptures, Jesus tells the story of the kingdom. One of the things that he talks to us and teaches us with is these things called parables. Parables, parables are not moral stories. I mean, there's morality in them, of course, yeah. But they're not, here's a moral story to live your life by. The, the reason that we have parables in, in the ancient scriptures is so that it shows people that this is what the kingdom is like. It's present and it's future. It's here and it yet will come in all its consummation and all its fulfillment as in Revelation 5. That's what it looks like. And so what's happening is that the kingdom of God is coming. But one of the reasons that we have parables is it just explains the kingdom. And one of the beautiful things that I love how it explains is the leaven. Now the leaven is not very cool. The leaven to me does not sound dramatic, does not sound powerful, does not sound like the way I wish it would be based in the days that we live in. Have you ever worked with leaven? Is there any bakers in the house? Nobody ever worked with leaven? Okay, I don't have another example, so we're sticking with this one. <laughs> Do you think is it noisy when it's working? Do you think you would know when it's working at times even? No, but you let it do its work. And what it does is that when we sleep and when we're not near it, it starts to rise, it starts to influence, it starts to spread and it starts to grow. And it's not necessarily dramatic. It's not necessarily spectacular. But it's constant. And it's happening and you might not hear it and you might not see it with the, the natural eye and hear it with the natural ear. But the kingdom is advancing. It's happening right now at this moment when we're sitting here in chairs, charcoal black, I don't know what color they are. All across this land right now, somebody is being healed of a disease. Right now, somebody is being freed. As we sit here on a chair outside of these walls, right now, I would guarantee it, at this very moment, somebody is being freed from addiction. Right now, in this very moment, somebody is contemplating taking their life, but the Spirit of God is breaking in, and somehow, somewhere, for some reason, the Spirit of God is gently speaking into the life of a young man, maybe in his 19s or 20s, who's about to take his own life, and he's freeing him from the depression and from the negativity that is just overwhelming his life. Do you believe that? See, that's how it works. It's not spectacular. You know what? It looks like it's the going out among the community. It's a walking with people. Leaven isn't attractive, nor is it very glamorous. It looks like it's small and insignificant, but just watch how it works. And do you know how the kingdom of heaven works in our culture, people? By showing up. By showing up by the church of Jesus Christ, relaxing. Not becoming an anxious presence, but becoming a peaceful presence in an anxious world where we just sell into who we are and what we're called to do. And we relax into our calling that the King has come and that we are to extend the kingdom of heaven here, near and far. And then all we need to do is relax into that and then go out among our people. Go out with hearts of love, reconciliation, comfort, forgiveness, the presence of Yahweh, the presence of the Messiah King through the Spirit of the living God in our hearts and upon us that should overflow and actually affect every sphere and every avenue of society. Showing up. Just showing up. Praying. Just praying. Worshipping. Just worshipping. 
That 25 minutes, what we do here on a Sunday morning, is not warm-up for me. It's not so to get you in a good mood and to get you to smile when the preacher comes up. We don't do that. The worship is not means to an end. Worship is the end. Worship is the end. It's important that we keep gathering in these days when the church can be its most effective in our nation and the world, when we can actually see the difference that we're making in society and be the hope and be the comfort and be the peace. It's actually very important that we just show up. Is it glamorous? No, but just show up. Have the battle with the duvet if you want, but just show up. Come, regardless of how you're feeling, regardless of how your week is. Sometimes we come in here, don't we, and maybe it's just me, but you've... You've had a fight with a wife, or you've, you've just, you know, you can't find this and you can't find that, and you come and you've got so much going on in your mind, you come and you're just absolutely, your mind is all over the show, you're anxious, you're annoyed, maybe you're irritated, and you come in and you think, so what the am I doing here today? You sit down, somebody tinkles a few chords. Do you play chords in piano? Is that, yeah? And plays a few chords and strums a guitar, and all of a sudden, your heart starts to ease. The peace of God comes upon you. Some of you weep, maybe for the first time, and you think you're having a nervous breakdown. You're not. Let me tell you what's happening to you. You've just been introduced to King Jesus. And all of a sudden, your heart knows and actually can confirm that this is the place. This is what I need for my soul. This is who I need to be with. Is any of this making sense? Good. I should write Toxicus all the time. Save me a lot of work during the week. But I do like to spoil you from time to time. And so again, the context is... So we, we, and do you ever feel like this? I'm just having a heart-to-heart with you this morning. I hope that's okay. I'm just sharing, sharing where, where I'm at and where you're at probably. Like you've, we've had prophecies spoken over us as a church. And, and one of, the, the, one of the, the most common ones is that we are a city on a hill. A city of light, a city of significance. But do you ever feel like we're not really that bright? When you look around you? Is that just me? It's a very positive morning, isn't it? Seriously. Do you ever feel like it's just not that bright? That, you know, we're... We are this, you know, remember the wee song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Sometimes we feel like it's just, it's just me and my little light, don't we? But I'm going to let it shine. And that's how you can feel. You can feel that we're not making a difference. We're not the city. We're not the light on the hill. Let me tell you something. And these days, in particular these days, the world is watching. People are watching the church. What will she do? So we don't have to become protesters. We can at times and we do at times. But we don't have to take a backseat Eller and sit and watch the world change around us. We can actually influence. Because believe it or not, we have a very good message to bring to society. We have the message, and the story is the story of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he's the one that changes hearts and minds. And I always say that a man with an experience is never at the mercy with anyone with an argument. And I've had an experience with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I know that he's changed my life and my heart. 
And I know that if he can change my life and my heart as simple as it seems, and as cheesy as it sounds, he can do that with anybody, at anywhere, in any place. And if he can do it with a person, he can do it with the people. And if he can do it with the people, he can do it with the community. And if he can do it with the community, he can do it with an island. Can't he? So let's arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's at this moment and this time that John Mark writes a proclamation and a mission statement that changes everything. He says this. Now after John was arrested, it's very important to note that. Because John was the trailblazer, right? He was the one ahead of Jesus Christ of Nazareth saying, Hey, I'm not the deal. The deal is coming behind me. The one who will come and not just baptize you with water, but baptize you with fire. The Holy Spirit. The power of God. The transformational power of God is coming behind me. But then what happens to John is John starts to get a little bit political. He starts to speak to uh, what's happening in, in this time, which is sexuality. He talks about it. He ends up going into prison, and all of a sudden, I don't know about you, but I would maybe doubt just a little bit. Is the kingdom here? Isn't that what he says when Jesus goes to visit him in prison? Or Jesus actually doesn't go, sorry, correction. Jesus doesn't even go and visit him. He sends his disciples, and the reason they're going is because John is starting to doubt. What am I doing here? I thought the kingdom was coming, we were going to throw the Roman Empire, and that the Messiah would come, and the trailblazer would come, and the Spirit of God would be poured out in all flesh, and all of a sudden we'd wake up and everything would be as it should be. But yet, here he is, about to be executed. And the disciples go to him, and John says, Is the kingdom come? And what does the disciples say to him? The blind see, the deaf hear, the kingdom has come. Regardless of what it looks like, the kingdom of God is still come. And so John Mark writes these words in a very peculiar time, in a very dark time, in a very bleak time. He says, after John was arrested, after he doubted, after he thought the light had gone out, after he thought the kingdom of heaven was lost, the time had come. Jesus came to Galilee, preaching Evangelio. Jesus Christ is Lord and Caesar is not. There is a new kingdom come upon you. Good news of the kingdom. Saying, what did he say? He said, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And what he Somebody else had that mic and I've been speaking for too long. This last couple of weeks. The danger of this, I think I can sing when somebody puts something like this into my hand. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, the kingdom of heaven has come near, means it's within reach, it's within touching distance. You can taste it, you can see it. And then he says, repent and believe the good news of the kingdom is here. And I want us this morning, I've said a lot to say this, that we need daily moments of repenting and believing. The church of Jesus Christ, we need moments, daily moments, weekly moments, hourly moments where we are repenting and believing. Because what he is saying at this moment, in this time, when it all seemed bleak, 
AD 60 to 70, when the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven seemed to be fading very, very fast, when that was happening all around him, what he's saying here is that we need to change our thinking. Seamless. How cool was that, eh? He didn't even know anything was happening. What he was saying is, you need to start to change your mindset. Repent means metanoia. Change your mind. Change the way that you're thinking. And believe, whether it was more than just believing a set of values, a set of rules, a set of things that Jesus actually said, even the stories, the parables, it's more than that. It's actually to have a paradigm shift in your thinking and to be open. Believing means to be open to the wildest possibilities that Jesus Christ is still the Messiah King. To be open to the wildest possibilities that even though things start to seem grey, things start to seem bleak, when, when things start to seem as they're not, as they should be, when the kingdom of God looks to the natural eye like it's actually fading, that you need in those moments to believe the wildest possibilities that the kingdom of heaven can break in at any moment. Do you believe that? So we need to have moments of repentance. We need to have moments where we re-believe again, where we have fresh hope for the days that we live in. And then he formed, Jesus went from this mission statement, and then he went and formed a community of people. And what he said to this community of people, I want you to change how you think. I want you to learn from me and I want you to know how to be like me so that you can change the world just as I did. And nothing's changed. Nothing has changed, people. There have been dark days. There will be dark days. There have been darker days than the days that we live in today. Today is not the darkest day. Today is the best day for the church of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to be upon the face of the planet. I kid you not. I kid you, I'm actually serious. I've bought into this. I've actually spent my life believing this. And then he begins to tell stories to help us to reimagine, to help us awaken faith in dark times. John Mark, when the kingdom looks like it's fading, starts to tell us stories about what the kingdom looks like so that hope would arise in our heart. I might get to tell you one of those stories today or maybe a couple. After this great announcement, he's formed the community and he allows us to see the activity of the kingdom. And he's saying to the readers, hey, you think it's gone, you think it's bleak. Here's what it looks like. Here's what this Jesus Christ of Nazareth does. And the first thing, we looked at it last week, so I don't have to repeat it. Jesus rules the kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of King Jesus. It's the dominion of the king. It's the powerful rule and reign of Jesus. It's how the world should look like. It's how the world should be as if Jesus was in charge. And one of the first things he teaches us about this kingdom, this dynamic, is that Jesus rules over demons. It's an intense story to begin in Mark. An intense story. And all he's saying, and listen to this, as we live here in 2019 in Dungannon County, Tyrone, This is what he's teaching us. That when the kingdom of heaven comes, when Jesus walks into a church meeting, when Jesus walks into a place of the gathered, when Jesus walks through streets and villages and towns, do you know what starts to happen? Evil is pushed out into the open. Evil is pushed out to the open. Evil is pushed out into the open. And it's not just pushed out so it can be displayed. It's pushed out to the open so it can be dealt with and eradicated. And the kingdom of heaven can be what it's called to do, to eradicate darkness and evil. That's what he teaches. Jesus rules. 
over demons. You can listen to that if you want. And then straight after the the dramatic church service, Jesus goes home to Simon Peter's house. Simon, who becomes Peter the Rock, changed his name. And after the church meeting in the synagogue, they just go to Peter's house. Do you know why they're going to Peter's house? They're going for the dinner. Very traditional. After church, you go home for the, the dinner. Now, there's a problem. He goes home for the dinner, and the mother-in-law's in bed with a fever. All right? Are you with me? And in and, and that culture, women were cooking and doing all. But things have changed, right? People like me, who have culinary skills just coming out of their ears, right? And, uh, and the likes of... Stephen Kelly and Sebastian, do you like, give him anything dead and he'll turn it into gourmet meat. But in this time, in this culture, the woman is still making the, deal, making the meal. And so here's the deal. There's no dinner, there's no food, and there's just a social taboo. Like, you've just brought Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this young Jewish rabbi, prophet rabbi, who's 30 years of age. He's just cast a demon out in a synagogue, in a church uh, service. It's kind of wild, it's kind of dramatic. And he comes to your house for the dinner, and there's no dinner. And so it doesn't seem very spiritual, but what the guys are actually saying, they're actually saying, maybe somebody should tell Jesus. And the reason they want to tell Jesus is because they want the dinner. So maybe if we say to Jesus, he could fix the problem, the mother-in-law could get up and we'll all get fed, and it'll be a good day. Sound like a good story? Yeah. So Jesus goes into the room, he took her by the hand, and he helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to give him the dinner. Today's a good day. When Jesus comes, things are good, right? You even get the dinner. Luke records this very same happening. So he bent over, it says this, is Luke's, Luke's account. He, in Luke 4.39, it says, So when he bent over, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up once, and she began to wait on him. What was it? Did he, did he lift her by the hand, or did he rebuke the fever? Yes, he did. Both. Two people's accounts. One Leans over, he rebukes the fever, and he takes her by the hand, she gets up, and everybody is sorted. And that word, that rebuke, is the same thing that was behind the man's oppression. You remember, they just came from the synagogue with the demon. Do you remember that story last week, when evil was pushed out to the open? That demon, Jesus now treats the fever in the same way. So if you think that Jesus Christ of Nazareth brings sickness on people to teach him a lesson, you are mistaken. You're very much mistaken because he treats his sickness and his fever with the same contempt that he treats the demon with that oppresses the man. And that's how it works. Jesus has no time for sickness. He doesn't put us on us to teach us a lesson. That's called child abuse. He's a good father. You can only see what he does the father doing. And Jesus, everything Jesus does suffer, he just does what the father would be doing. When he releases a woman from her shame and her pain, he's just doing what every dad would do for their daughter. That's what Jesus does. Are you with me? So he shows contempt for the sickness and he heals the woman. Jesus just didn't heal the sick, actually. There's a lesson in this. He tells the fever to go. He tells the demon to go. You know what happens? He just doesn't pray for the sick, but he actually commands healing to happen. And there's a lesson in that for us as a church. So the news gets out. News gets out and people start to gossip. Oh, I would love God gossip all over County Tyrone. Wouldn't you? Have you heard what happened? Somebody got healed. Have you heard what happened? Yeah? I heard 
was a God gossip this week. We were hanging out with some friends on Friday night, and, and long story short, somebody was originally from Dungannon, and their parents um, are still from this part of the world, but they were saying to their daughter, have you heard about the vineyard? And I was thinking, oh no. <laughs> What's it going to be like? And they, said, they drink coffee. And I'm like, and? Yeah, but they just don't drink coffee. They drink coffee during the service. <laughs> now, I'll tell you what, I'm not at all happy with this. So if any of you... Sam, sorry for picking on you, Sam, but can you put your coffee cup down? Yeah. We need to smarten up. So this God gossip starts to happen. The word gets out about the demon in the church service. Then Peter's mother-in-law was healed. And so a crowd starts gathering and the sick are brought. So, so many are brought. Listen to this in Mark 1.32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. I don't know if that's literal or not, but it seems to be that maybe the language just looks like the whole town is here. The whole of Dungannon showed up at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he wouldn't let the demons speak because he had work to do. And the demons knew the end has come. And, and so the demons know they're looking at the calendar thinking, she's, he's here. He's a bit early. And when Jesus comes, the end comes. The kingdom comes. He wields the power. They know that it's judgment day. It's Clint Eastwood sort of moment again. When Jesus comes, they think, oh no. And so Jesus is saying, hey, shut up. I've got a bit more work to do. So stop annoying people and tell them it's all finished. Because it's just beginning. The kingdom is breaking in. And so what we learn from that, hey, arise, shine. Jesus reigns over demons and evil. Arise, shine. Jesus rules over sickness. Let your hearts be filled this morning. Have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of God is doing right now in our present day and time. He's still a king. Remember, 60 to 70 AD, looks like the kingdom is fading. But John Mark started to retell the stories so that hearts would start to swell again and we would do the stuff. There's a formation and authority thing, but I don't have time to go into it this morning. So let's jump to chapter 2, 1 to 12. How you doing? You good? You sure? Are these the darkest days? Good. Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. A few days later, Jesus is back in... Is it Capernaum or is it Carpenaum? It's Capernaum. Okay, I'll go with that. He's back in Capernaum. And many people are gathered at Peter's house to hear Jesus preach the word. Peter's house must be kind of a fun place to go. And he's preaching the word of God. What do you think the word of God is? What do you think he's preaching? Mark 1, 14 to 15. The kingdom of God has come. You knew that, right? That's what he's preaching. It's Mark's story. So he's going to keep it all in sync. So he's preaching it. And four men show up carrying their paralyzed friend on a map. Right? Faith comes by hearing. Help me out. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Did these people hear the word of God? Yeah. They heard the stories of Jesus. No doubt. 
in this small town, in this small area, that these people have heard that a demon has just been pushed out of a man, that this man is in his right mind, and he's back into society doing what he's called to do, living like a, a normal, flourishing human being. They've heard that. They've also heard that uh, Peter's mother-in-law got up and made the dinner, when she couldn't make the dinner, right? And then they've also heard that the whole town has come to the doors, and everybody, Jesus had contempt for the sickness and the demons, and he healed everybody. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, hearing the stories of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They've heard the stories of Jesus. Their faith starts to arise in their hearts and their friends are starting to come. And after seeing and hearing Jesus, they change their thinking. They've repented. Their mindset has shifted because they no longer believe that this could be the way that it should be and that this is here for some generational sin or some family sin. Maybe they've changed their mindset thinking, well, if you've done it for one, you can do it for another. If he did it for him, then he could do it for me. If he did it for them, then he could do it for us, right? Are you with me? And so the faith has, has changed their perspective. They've repented. They've believed that their minds are now open to the wildest possibilities that if they bring their friend on the mat, that he maybe could go home walking. And so it's a church meeting and the ushers are at the door. Picture it. Navy, single-breasted blazer. Gray, far flax. Slacks and a wee pair of black Gibson shoes. And these guys come to the door, and the ushers are saying, Sorry, we're full. And so, somehow, could it be after seeing and hearing the stories of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, they've changed their thinking, they've opened up their hearts to God's possibilities, and they've said to themselves, Maybe. There's a way. Maybe there's a way. And so their faith and their different thinking leads them up the stairs, up to a rooftop. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? When's the last time when society has said something? When the culture around you is telling you something? That you've changed the way that you thought. That your mind shift, your mindset has shifted, sorry. That you've had a paradigm mind shift. And that you are all of a sudden, when you're confronted by the, the negative situation, by the impossibility, where there seems to be no access and there seems to be bars in life, when's the last time that you repented and believed and said, I'm going another way? By hook or by crook, I'm going to Jesus Christ of Nazareth and he can do something that society can't do. So their faith and their different thinking that leads them. And when Jesus saw their faith. When he saw that their mind shift, mindset had shifted, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, be healed, right? What does he say to him? Son, you're... How do you know that? Very smart people. Go back and tell everybody in Lagan Valley, these people know the ancient scriptures. Immediately, the theologians and the Pharisees, they don't like it at all. This is a step too far. Who does he think he is? Does he not know the system and the structure? What's the system and the structure? For somebody to have their sins forgiven, they must go to the temple. They must buy a sacrifice. They must pay for it. Maybe pay over the odds for it at the temple gate because they haven't got time to go back and pick it up. So they've got to go there. And these guys are saying, hey, you know when it's convenient selling? Do you ever go to a concert and they're selling drinks? Even about... I'm talking about water, relax, okay? And you can charge the earth for it, right? You go to the cinema, and you buy the drinks in the cinema, right? 
You don't put them in your handbag. You don't go to home bargains right beside the cinema and bring in your stuff. Father Kelly, you don't do that. Yesterday. Repent and believe moment. Let's just, <laughs> let's just finish it now and we'll do an altar call and you can do something like on the keys, like really mood setting. And we'll call her to repentance. Or we'll just squeal on her. <laughs> I think we'll just squeal on her. Shame works for a little while. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so they don't, they don't know the system. See, they, they, the Pharisees, they're really, really upset. The system, you go to the temple, you get your sins forgiven. What they missed is now Jesus is the temple. Jesus is now the temple, right? The temple was a signpost to the reality of the king coming and that all things would change. The reality of it was that Jesus is now the temple. Are you with me? Somebody sleeping beside you, just give him a wee nudge and say, he's, he's actually very good today. Okay, everybody's awake, I like that. So Jesus, he's aware of this. He confronts them to change their thinking. I love this. Here's a gig here. What's easier to say to a paralyzed man? This is not a theological question, by the way. I'm just asking you to observe the situation and read in this story. Imagine yourself there at that time. There's a paralyzed man, right? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or... It's a crowd, such a big crowd that he couldn't get in the normal way, that he puts a hole in the roof. It's a whole disaster, whole upheaval. What's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or take up your bed and walk? What's easier? Come on, let's, let's, let's not play the religious game. What's easier to say? Why? You can't see it. There's no risk, right? It's a bigger thing to say that take up your bed and walk, because if it doesn't take up his bed and walk, then it's like awkward, right? I've been there. Have I told this story about Abinadab Market in India? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. And uh, so I'm standing there, and I mean, like, I don't know, there's tens of thousands of people. This man comes up to me on a board with wheels on it and puts out a cup to beg. So I took a moment of faith. Some might say, other, courage. And so I looked at the man, looked into his eyes and said, I literally said these words, silver and gold have I none. <laughs> I know, it's, it's amazing how religious you can get sometimes. <laughs> but such as I have, and I don't even read this translation, such as I have, I give to you the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Nothing happens. At this moment, some people start to figure out there's a white man here. There's very few white people about at this point in time, but there's this white man with this uh, poor beggar, and he's trying to get him off a trolley. I'm literally like trying to pick him up off the trolley. I'm not really endorsing this or saying that you should try this on Monday morning, by the way, but I'm just telling you an experience that we had. And so I thought nothing's happening, so I thought I'll try again. And by this time, the crowd start to press in, and everybody's watching. And uh, just in case you're thinking, I know where the story's going. The story doesn't go anywhere. I say to the guy again, in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth, get up and walk. So I put my hand down again, try to get the guy up off the stretcher. No, he's not getting up. And so all of a sudden, more people start to come. And I thought, it's bound to happen the third time, just as it says in the Bible. And so I try again, and nothing happens. But I end up, actually, the end of the story is I'm getting shoved through, slim guy like myself, getting shoved through a window of a car with my legs hanging out 
the window still and the driver driving off and taking us out of the market. What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Here, take up your bed and walk. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. So he gets up, he takes his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all, the scripture said. This amazed everyone. I'm sure it did. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Amazed, they're astounded. The kingdom of God has come and he rules over sin. And guess what? He brings forgiveness. Jesus Christ rules over evil. Jesus Christ rules over sickness. And Jesus Christ rules over sin and brings complete forgiveness. The kingdom of God has come and through the authority of the word of the kingdom, guess what happens? Sins are forgiven and people are set free. If you want to see the kingdom of God, open yourself up to God's possibilities. If you want to see people set free from their life and their shame and their struggles, then open your mind up. Change your thinking. We're not living in the darkest days. The kingdom has come. Rise, shine. Your light has come. The glory of God has risen. And it's upon you and me, the church of Jesus Christ. He rules over demons. He rules over sickness. And he rules over sin. Let's stop there. When you stand. <clears throat>